from KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Welcome to Bike Talk. I'm Taylor Nichols. I'm Nick Richard. Hey, Nick. We got Carl Valane, who is in for Anne-Marie. And Anne-Marie was actually in for Lindsay. <laughs> Carl, welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Your Twitter name is Mobility for Who. What's yeah. that mean? It's really asking who gets to move around safely in our cities. That's kind of the idea and fighting for advocacy and to ask cities to make streets safer for everyone. Yeah. For not just people in cars, you mean by that? Exactly. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on today. We're glad to have you in the third chair. Thanks for having me. We got a listener email. All right. Robert Prince, Advocacy Director for Bike East Bay, wanted to clarify a few things about California law because we had that segment. Right. Robert wrote, in all situations regarding road rules, I always suggest that people look up and read the actual text of the law for themselves. City staff, police, advocates, and even lawyers sometimes get details wrong or leave things out. So it's a good idea to just go straight to the source. You know, that just brings up that whole thing that Jim said last week also, that if you're a regular biker and you know the law, you have a lot of power over the police officer or whatever who is choosing to stop you for some you know yeah. silly reason. You have two earbuds in maybe, or you don't have a light and you only have a reflector or something like that. So if you know the law in your area, you're going to be safer. Carl, you bike a lot. Where do you bike? I live in Santa Monica, so I bike a lot around here, but all over LA County, really. Do you know the laws? I think I do. (laughs) I think I'm more aware of the laws than most police departments. I'll say that. (laughs) And I think it's important that if there is some sort of crash and there is a jury, that if you are following the law, you have a better right of collecting a bigger settlement. Yeah. How about some news? Absolutely. Did you see that article about myths about bike lanes? I did see it. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. What gets me is that people are always saying bike lanes, you know, slow down traffic, bike lanes ruin businesses, dangerous. And the truth is none of that is true. They don't cause more congestion. They're good for business and they improve traffic safety for everyone, including drivers. I think more and more people are becoming aware of that. And that's why even a lot of politicians who know that bike lanes are better but don't like them will not admit that they don't like them so even politicians who will fight really hard to oppose bike lane projects will not publicly say that they don't like bike lanes they'll just come up with random excuses when a project comes up another article was in the daily coast a biden versus trump bike race could derail the infirmity crap i would love to see that that would be pretty funny who do you think would win you know biden's a biker man he's out there on his bike Maybe throw in George Bush also, because George Bush was a biker. Get John Kerry. Remember, John Kerry was a biker. It's on. (laughs) And then the winner gets the White House. Also in the news, the L.A. Fire Department is coming out in opposition to the Healthy Streets Los Angeles ballot measure. You know, I don't think it was the fire department, Nick. It was the fire department union. And it was only the union president who was speaking about it. And he was saying, Los Angeles is a car city. And why are there so many homeless people? And our firefighters are out there in trouble. Why are we spending money on safe streets? The guy was off the rails. Yeah. Well, we're going to play that coming up. But right now we have... Speak of the devil. (laughs) 
Michael, Michael very, Snyder. Very hey good guys. timing. Hey, man. Michael is the founder of Streets for All, a Los Angeles Safe Streets advocacy nonprofit. Their signature initiative measure is a, well, there's a lot of things they do and they've done, but they've got the measure on the ballot, Healthy Streets LA. Yeah, it's on the ballot on March 5th. And Michael, we're glad you're on because we were just talking about a little bit of pushback to HLA, and it doesn't make sense to me. And I wonder if you could address some of the comments against safe streets. Well, there seems to be two camps of pushback, Taylor. The first one is from the fire department, and they claim that implementing the mobility plan would make the streets more dangerous because they wouldn't be able to get to emergencies. There's two interesting things about that. One, it's simply not true. The city's own EIR. Environmental impact report for the mobility plan states that emergency vehicles in a full build-out scenario where we built every inch of the mobility plan would either stay the same or improve. But logic says if you've got 300 miles of bus-only lanes and you've got new center turn lanes that are added when you're reconfiguring streets, both of those are very good for emergency vehicles. The other thing is the fire department's calls are only about 7% of the time for an actual fire. The single biggest reason the fire department goes out is to help either pedestrians or cyclists that have been hit by cars or drivers that have gotten into a crash. And obviously with safer streets, those calls would go down. So unfortunately, uh, you know, we love our firefighters, they're heroes, but their union is just wrong on this. And safer streets would mean safer streets. They wouldn't make it more dangerous. Right. It's safer streets for everybody. The other camp is the cost camp. And our city has a little known position called the city administrative officer that no one's ever heard of. And the CAO does cost estimates on ballot measures and other things for city council. And the CAO estimated the cost of HLA at two and a half billion dollars. That's the number that went out to voters on the ballot. Last Friday was an incredible day at council. He came back with a surprise last minute report. And now the cost is 3.1 billion. It's gone up 600 million in a month. And what's fascinating about the number is the majority of the number is him saying that the city would be forced to fix sidewalks as part of HLA, as part of the pedestrian enhanced network. And he said, well, the city doesn't really know how many miles of sidewalks are broken. So let's just say it's 100%. All our sidewalks need to be fixed completely. And that right there is 1.4 out of the 2.5 billion or out of the 3 billion number, that's 2 billion of it. The other thing is he costed a bike lane at $2 million per mile. I don't know about you, but that's some expensive paint. That's a a beautiful bike lane. It's the Rolls Royce of bike lanes, but DOT has been installing bike lanes at about 200, 250,000 per mile, uh, about a 10th of the cost of what the CAO said. So long story short, instead of 3.1 billion, it would actually be about 280 million with an M over 10 years. And for a city the size of Los Angeles, $28 million a year is a very reasonable price to pay for safer streets. And again, that's stuff that is already on the city's plan, right? I mean, they're going to resurface the street anyways, so they might as well resurface it and update it so that it is appropriate for, you know, all road users in the in the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, the 250,000 number is based on just doing it from scratch. In the context of resurfacing, it's even less money. And yes, this is the city's own plan. So this isn't a Streets for All plan or an HLA plan. This is just telling the city, do your own plan during repaving. Some people are saying that the city council should have autonomy and they should be able to decide whether to implement the mobility plan. Well, they've had quote unquote autonomy for eight years now, uh, going on nine years since the mobility plan passed, and they've implemented 5% of it. 
So it turns out when a plan is just a plan, it's optional. It's not an ordinance, which is what the ballot measure would create. It doesn't really get done very well. Right now, the city council is on pace to implement its own 20-year plan in about 160 years. Or maybe never. So if HLA what, passes, they'll have to. What's the mechanism that makes them have to implement the mobility plan? HLA would create a new ordinance. That's a law. And the ordinance would simply say, anytime the city repaves anything over one eighth of a mile, um, which is almost nearly every repaving project they do, then they would have to implement the mobility plan. That could mean crosswalks, that could mean curb extensions, that could mean bus lanes, that could mean bike lanes. One of the pushbacks I hear, Michael, is that there's no outreach to the community if this is in place. Is that true? That's just nonsense. So the city has a Mobility Plan Settlement Agreement, an organization called Fix the City, sued the city of Los Angeles over the mobility plan. And out of the settlement agreement came requirements. Anytime the city does a lane reconfiguration on a street, they have to do a minimum amount of outreach. They have to do a traffic study. They have to reach out to the neighborhood council. They have to hold a minimum number of community meetings. That's mandated. We're not trying to change that, and that wouldn't change. We think community outreach is a good thing. But the outreach wouldn't be asking permission to implement the mobility plan. It would be getting into the nuances with the community. If there's trade-offs that are needed, what's more important to a community? Is it the parking? Is the sacrosanct thing we don't want to touch? Or is it a vehicle travel lane? If trade-offs need to be made, that can be a conversation with the community. Which city council members are on board? HLA has been endorsed by six council members, including four out of the five members of our city's transportation committee. Eunice Hernandez, Nithia Raman, Katie Yaroslavsky, Marquise Harris-Dawson, Heather Hutt, and Hugo Soto-Martinez. And um, it's really meaningful to us to have the backing of 80% of the transportation committee. Those council members represent different districts across LA. Are the benefits going to be, would you say, evenly distributed around the city? The benefits are citywide. If you look at the mobility plan, the high injury network, which are the 6% of streets that cause 70% of the injuries and deaths, are mainly in South LA, Central LA, and the Valley. But the mobility plan calls for improvements everywhere. It's not a perfect plan. If you use a bicycle, there would still be gaps here and there, but it would be far better than what we have today. If you're a transit rider, your bus would go significantly faster. And if you're a pedestrian, you'd have more safe places to cross and At intersections, which are the most dangerous areas for pedestrians, you might not be risking your life to cross the street due to curb extensions. So you're at risk for less time. So those improvements are pretty much everywhere. There's also the neighborhood enhanced network, which is not really talked about very much. You guys have talked about slow streets on this program before. Imagine just slow streets implemented citywide. Uh, Neighborhood traffic circles, 15 mile per hour speed limits within the slow street. That's basically what the neighborhood enhanced network envisions. A lot of times on the show, for the many years we've been on, we've said, if this is going too slowly, we can't fight eight years for a crosswalk or like a block of bike lane. It's just never going to get to where we need to go in time for us to see it, in time for kids to be able to walk and bike. So this seems like it's one way to do it all at once. It won't be all at once, but the city repaves about 6% of its streets every year, about 500 miles. So not all of those are on the mobility plan, but because it will be mandated to implement if it passes, we think the city will pay a lot more attention to opportunities to implement the mobility plan and be a lot more conscious of it when setting their repaving schedule. It's likely there will be fewer repaving projects, but the ones they do will be of longer distances. So we can actually get something cohesive done. A really good example, and obviously the measure hasn't passed, but there's a two mile stretch of Hollywood that's about to be done. And CD13 basically told Streets LA and DOT, we don't want patches of repayment here and there. We want a marquee project. And that all kind of 
combined into this really meaningful two mile stretch that will hopefully go in the ground before July. So I think that's an example of the kind of things you might see happen. Right. That's all about creating a network. We need a network to get around the city by any other means besides just a car. Absolutely. If you're on your bike, we've all been in bike lanes that go a few blocks and just stop. And depending on your level of courage, you might continue and be a vehicular cyclist. You might go on the sidewalk. Either way, it sucks. So we don't think people should have to make that trade-off. Well, HLA is on the ballot on March 5th. Ballots have already been mailed in Los Angeles. So if you're listening to the show and you're not in Los Angeles, call someone you know in Los Angeles and let them know about the ballot measure coming up on March 5th and vote yes on HLA. Thank you, Taylor. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) I don't know about that, Michael. I'm really hoping that everyone shows up and send out their ballot and votes for Measure HLA. Thanks, Michael. That was Michael Schneider of Streets for All, one of the sponsors of the HLA measure that's on the ballot in Los Angeles on March 5th. You know, Nick and Caro, it seems like some of these city politicians or city workers didn't really want to create safe streets when they passed the mobility plan back in 2015, you know? Yeah. They thought they would have an easy out. I figure. Yeah. And Vision Zero started around that time also. And we were supposed to be at zero traffic fatalities by 2025. And we're not close. This makes me think of the Vulnerable Road Users Safety Act, which is that we talked about right, last right. episode. What that mandates is that states have to do a vulnerable road users safety assessment. And then based on that, they have to come up with a mobility plan. And it sounds like we're going to have to put ballot measures like HLA on ballots all across the country to force cities and states to implement their mobility plan. This is the blueprint, maybe. We'll see how this goes. So vote on March 5th, right? If you're in LA or if you know somebody in LA, everybody knows somebody in LA, right? Hey, um, just to get back to the opposition to this, it seems to be kind of right wing or MAGA or something. The union president of the California firefighters spoke and he was just combining these ideas of elitists riding bikes and being too soft on homelessness. And it's crazy stuff. It's like he doesn't understand that that people who have, you know, labor jobs ride their bike to work. He doesn't understand that that people ride for errands, not just out in spandex riding in a bike club or something like that. Well, we should play the clip so people know. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, here it is. Talk about safe streets. Let's talk about safe sidewalks. You can't even use a sidewalk in the city of Los Angeles. We are not on top of our homeless issue. We are not on top of the encampments. How about we get that safe before we start putting bicycles and bicycle lanes in? This is a car community. You may not like it, but it is. Did Metrolink improve the traffic? Do you really think that you're going to see buses go faster than 12 miles an hour? Do you want buses going faster than 12 miles an hour in city streets? This bill is dangerous. This is an elite, small group of citizens, and I'll just say it, democratic socialists that are not the party of our parents, that are not the party of the Roosevelts and the Trumans and the LBJs. This is an elite group, period. The reason this is not the California that is of our parents is because it's an activist California. They have realized the city doesn't have the money to do this. The city probably wants to. Well, let's do a citizen's bill and force them. This city eliminated 30, 334 firefighter positions. We closed seven truck companies because the city doesn't have the money. And I'm standing here talking to you about bicycles. You gotta be kidding me. We have a public safety crisis in this city and we're talking about bicycles. 
and we're talking about bicycle lanes, and we're talking about usurping the power and the authority of the city council. You got pissed off, and you have a small elite group of citizens that are trying to take over the city council's job. So there was Brian Rice, president of the California Professional Firefighters. And, you know, we on Bike Talk, Nick, are union supporters. Absolutely, 100%. And we want firefighters to be safe, but we don't see how safe streets makes firefighters unsafe. He's mad about firefighters being laid off. And he says also, you know, before you make streets safer, do something about the homeless people on the sidewalks. And I'm just wondering why safe streets have to be at odds with having firefighter jobs and right. having homelessness policy. Carl, he's mad you... as hell, and he's not going to take it anymore. I'm as <laughs> mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, but this is a pretty serious issue, so it doesn't make it that funny anymore. And you're totally right. It is a serious issue because last year, over 300 people died on the streets of L.A. Yeah, pretty disturbing. And not all fire departments oppose road safety or road diets. They were they spoke in favor of the road diet in Silver Lake, for example. And I, I thought Michael made a great point about dedicated bus lanes, dedicated center turn lanes, create more space for emergency vehicles to travel through the streets. Yeah. In other news, there was a cougar attack in Washington state. Did you hear about that? I saw a clip. Yeah. I missed uh, that. This cougar attacks some cyclists. There's some mountain bikers. One woman was hospitalized, and all I could think was it was lucky it wasn't a car. Yeah. Cougar attacks are very rare, unlike car crashes. Exactly. I think the clip I saw was a male cyclist who got attacked by a big cat. And he was not hospitalized. He got away. So, you know, maybe well, they're right. not so rare. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. But so what would you rather be hit by a cougar or a car? Neither. But if you had to pick <laughs> one. I think I would pick the cougar. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. some reason. The intention just seems a lot better coming from them than a driver. Yeah. yeah. They're just hungry. <laughs> yeah. Well, our first interview is with Damon Turner, founder of the LA Bike Academy. A lot of Los Angeles stuff today. Damon was one of the subjects in the film Biking While Black by Yolanda Davis Overstreet, who did a series of interviews for Bike Talk a few years back. So Yolanda joins our friend Anne-Marie Drolet for this interview. We're with Yolanda Davis Overstreet, director and producer of Biking While Black. Yolanda also did a series of interviews for Bike Talk a few years ago, Black Lives Rollin'. Damon Turner, founder of the Los Angeles Bike Academy, is one of the subjects of the movie. He's with us now, too. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. Welcome, Damon. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I yeah. love to talk about bikes and bike issues and kids on bikes. <laughs> Definitely. And we really just want to dive in. And can you just kind of like update us on what you're doing uh, at Los Angeles Bicycling Academy? Well, first and foremost, I want to thank you all and uh, Nick and Yolanda for, for having me here today to talk about LA Bike Academy and, and, and a lot of the things that we're doing. We just opened a full service bike shop. Well, not just open, but it's been open for a year. And the three main components to that are youth earn a bike program where young people come in and refurbish bicycles. So they're used bikes, they accrue hours, and upon completing those hours, they earn the bike. We are supporting a men's and women's race team that advocate and promote a lot of things that you're involved with, Yolanda. Obviously, you know, safe cycling in the city, you know, infrastructure and the lack thereof, obviously. We're trying to expand on that mission by having conversations with organizations like yours and 
you know, obviously you providing me the opportunity to be involved with your film, Viking While Black. I'm learning a lot, you know, in terms of just the other part of it. Because over the years, we've been primarily a race team, but understanding that where the connections are, and we certainly have them, you know, um, right. uh, I'm just, I'm here, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. We met in the late 90s, you know, while we were rolling uh, with City of Bicycles, riding our bikes uh, all throughout Los Angeles. And, and here we are decades, you know, later and now really tapping into how can we make our communities actually more bikeable because we experienced um, all these streets that had no bike lanes, you know, that the streets were crumbling, but we rode together as a group as a unit, um, which made us safer. And yes. I guess how had, you know, those days influenced you to become the leader and that you are in creating platforms and, and spaces for more young lives to come on board uh, and do this thing called bicycling? Well, I think for me, it, it was because I was, you know, provided the opportunity. As I looked around and participated, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. There were very few people that looked like me. And it was about, well, if, if, if I'm getting the opportunity, how can I provide that opportunity for that young kid, that young lady or the young man right in my community? In like, let's say a five mile radius of right. the Merck Park, Jefferson Park, which is where I grew up and where I've lived all my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the, that's where the mission started was to, how can I provide this opportunity to other young people. And, uh, and here we are now and it's, it's, it's changed, but there's a lot of work to do. Certainly we all know that, you know, it seems to be kind of a thread of misconceptions or barriers in terms of biking and that you're trying to tackle and um, making our streets more accessible for young black and brown lives. Yeah, you know, so recently we started a community bike ride that leaves out of the shop on Wednesday evening. It actually taken traction and we're averaging about 20 riders. And that for us is the start of education around the ability to go biking. I mean, I think one of the challenges for a lot of people is that they just don't know how to do it to some degree. Like they don't feel safe and and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this ride is the beginning of that education piece in whatever area, you know, that needs to be addressed. As you know, like safe bike lanes or just safe places to ride, the inequity, you know, biking while black or biking while of color, you know, all of those. This ride is to educate that group of people. In fact, I have to say this, the last time I was on that ride, I was telling people like, you know, we're, we're blessed to be out here doing this right together as a group. And what we all need to do is get involved in something that's going to create more equity and more of everything that we actually need in this city. Because we stop for a a grateful circle. And that's the message that I give everybody there. Like, you know, we can do what we're doing, but we need to we need to multiply this by education, getting other people involved or us being involved in other organizations that are already doing the work. Yeah, I mean, it it is a powerful thing. You don't think something as simple, especially um, in black and brown, you know, communities, as simple as a bike. What does that have to do, you know, with safety? I know I have a lot of 
of folks, you, you know, have this question mark above their head in terms of, uh, you know, why are you concerned if your community has a crosswalk? You know, what is mobility justice, quite frankly? And I know that is a mouthful when we talk about mobility justice, because to get on a bike, there are these barriers and have always been these barriers in terms of our movement. And yes. so a lot of folks that are on bikes, they might not be connected to this conversation around mobility justice and around the educating and justice tool that has to do with bicycling. I'm actually looking at a picture of you when I asked you to join me uh, at my daughter's middle school at the time, New L.A. on Washington oh, man, Boulevard. Really? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm literally late and it wasn't planned. It's just that I have like a document that has information and you are on our vision page. And so here you are, a past racer, a cyclist, and and now a community leader with a bike shop. And you're holding up a sign uh, that was created by Metro years ago that says to to watch for kids and, and to watch yes. the road. And we're standing on the corner. And I'd just like for you to talk about that experience because here you are, you were a cyclist first yes. and, and not really into the conversation around creating safer, more equitable streets. And in particular, you were standing on the corner of a, where a middle school exists where 300 kids attend the school and nothing in that infrastructure was safe. Honestly, that was the point where I understood because like you said, we were riding our road bikes and we were yes. navigating as a group through the city. Yeah. But that was the first time I realized how unsafe, you know, L.A. can be, period. Yeah. Right. Because yes. I'm looking at these cars going 60 miles an hour and I'm saying, you're right. These kids got to walk three blocks up the street to get across to their school. Yeah. I said, I need to be a part of this because yeah. it didn't make any sense where a, a, a young person lived down the residential street, let's say on the same block as the school, two blocks mm -hmm. down, but they got to come up to the boulevard, Washington that is, yeah. walk three blocks down to get across the street. Yeah. Like what is, what is like, this is, this makes no sense. And so for the first time that was like, the streets are really unsafe. Cause I guess you don't consciously know it maybe. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I have been in some accidents or I have been, been hit by a car, but yeah, that was certainly the first time that I'm like, something needs to be done. And, uh, I didn't know how it was going to be done when we were doing it at the time. It was like, <laughs> how is this sign going to make these people pay attention to what we're doing that are doing 60 miles an hour? But obviously it worked. You know, yes. it, it took time, but the work, it, you know, it, it came to fruition. With your bike shop and, and your mentoring, we talk about creating an ecosystem and reimagining, which is kind of what Biking While Black, you know, one of our, our, our key uh, messages is how can we reimagine creating safer spaces block by block in our communities? You know, and it was bike riding for years, for decades for me that led me up to this point of pieces of the puzzle really coming together for Biking While Black actually to come to life. And the focus of it, which is our, our vision now, is igniting justice-based dialogue. And that's, you know, what that was, as well as engagement and then also taking the action. So, you know, standing on a corner 
and saying that our narratives matter, that we need uh, safer streets in our community, you know, that's an activity that we took to promote and demand uh, that we have safer streets and more just streets. Um, and so I, I think it is a, a contagious um, actions that we are taking in a contagious movement because we do have the love for bicycling and we pair that love for bicycling with advocacy. And, and you know, that is a part of reimagining how we can literally change um, Los Angeles, but our focus being in black and brown spaces because they're always overlooked. And so with your work that you're doing at the middle school that I'm going to let you name, how do you think this is going in and right within that area with those young people that attend that middle school? Yeah, so it's uh, we've partnered with uh, LAUSD, specifically Audubon Middle School, and it's what less than a mile from the shop and we did an eight-week bicycle safety course that involved with everything from a to z as it relates to bicycles the maintaining of them how they work actually riding uh with obstacle courses and the hope is that 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 connectivity that that education piece will bring those young people to a point where they understand they can navigate with the advocacy like they can advocate for themselves and understand that, oh, yeah, there is a way to move in the city in a safe way. And that's sort of like that first piece, you know, like these are eighth and ninth graders. And uh, at that age, you're well capable of understanding if, you, if you're educated around right. what can make something better for you as far as the bike is concerned. And right. so the hope is to grow it. And we're connecting those young people to the shop and the programs that we have at the shop and then connecting them to the work like what you do and what other mm -hmm. organizations do. At some point, the numbers are about advocating for yourself. We hope to grow it and just increase the numbers. And what are some of the responses that you're getting from these middle schoolers in this program? It was an incredible uh, response, Yolanda. Uh, we, when we came in, funny thing about it is that the school actually didn't even know that they had the bikes on campus. They were in a container store for like almost three years. It was said that they were there. They didn't know. And we approached the administration. They said, let's look at it. We submitted a proposal. They loved it. And we're actually due to go back in this year. And so the plan is to grow it. The parents are embracing it. They love what we've done. We're already planning to take uh, rides off campus. It speaks to what we're trying to do ultimately. Right, like, right. If there's a route that's unsafe, then how do we make that safer? You know, uh, we're looking forward to growing the program and making those young people part of this opportunity. Being able to have the opportunity to receive um, community grants from SCAG or Human over the past, actually four years. Um, and this, we've just submitted another application. This would be year five, keeping my fingers crossed that will uh, be granted uh, yet another year of, of receiving funding. Um, and it really has provided a way to create a platform that um, really has not existed to be able to feature our work, you know, to be able to feature our collective work, as well as the amazing advocates and bicyclists that are here in Los Angeles. Um, what would you say, you know, as a result of being featured in Biking While Black and, and the way that is being used as a tool to advocate for the other 12 
folks that we featured, what are some of the things that you have seen have worked for you? So the Audubon program was was actually a result of being in the film, because mm-hmm. in the film, I was talking specifically to adults and saying that, hey, we're out here enjoying this you know, lifestyle, this, you know, riding our bikes, yes. but so much more to work to be done. That was like the impetus to like get involved with Audubon Middle School. Yes. Bring on board the school to look at it from a standpoint of like, you're here in the Lemur Park District and we can expand this out and create a network that involves you and other organizations to bring these young people into the fold again to advocate for themselves. Like I'm very new at, at this type of work, but what I do know is that, and what I believe also is that it's the cornerstone to everything because even though like say our kids, our team, our, our race team, they ride expensive road bikes, right? That's one yes. thing. But the reality is that in my shop on any given day, I would say that at least 70% of the customers that come in my store, their bike is their essential form of transportation, literally. And so that piece alone means we, we have to create these safe avenues, educate people around best practices so they can continue to do what they're doing. You know, like a guy right, right. the other day, he's like, hey, man, this is this is how I make a living. Everything I do evolves around this. And so where there are areas to some degree where there is bicycle access, there quite possibly may be less bicycle advocacy compared to areas where you don't have it. Where the bike is an essential form of transportation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally get that. I mean, if if you think about it, it's not essential. You know, it's a recreation. Right. King Boulevard that runs east and west from Central Avenue, literally all the way almost to Cobra City, that should be a, ma- a main bike thorough. That, yes. that, there should be a bike lane or some uh, bike access as yes, well as yes. other streets along, you know, a- around L.A. That's key. And that that's a segue into actually the next question that I was going to have for you, um, because we do have a new measure that has been put on the ballot. It's a uh, healthy streets L.A. It's telling the city of L.A. that they need to follow through with a what's called mobility plan 2035. Uh, now, your everyday folk won't really um, know what this even means, and especially sure. when we get into communities of color, um, because uh, our communities and our people are, they're working, they're managing um, their lives, their children's lives. So to get into basically like how our streets are designed and how our streets are set up, it's just not something that happens around the dinner table in terms of a conversation. Um, And so all that to say, your experience talked about streets you know, that that you live on, that we live on, um, that need to be improved upon. And, And so the question is, are these streets that we know in our communities, are they on the mobility plan 35? Meaning, are they a part of the plan to improve and make safer? In most cases, they are not. Why? You know, that's a mouthful of a question because who was involved in the um, outreach and and the engagement back in 2015 when this was put together? Probably not that many folk, you know, um, whereas we are much more evolved in this conversation. So there's streets that are listed in this um, HLA measure that probably do need 
to be improved? Do all of them need to be invested in as much as maybe some of the streets that are missing from South LA? Those are the questions that, you know, we now really, and, and community-based organizations that are heavy into this conversation and this work, um, that's what we're reviewing now. So I really like that you actually pinpointed a corridor like Martin Luther King Boulevard and other corridors that we have to sit at the table and really look at moving forward and and that you're going to be on board, you know, with this conversation now. And that's exciting. You know, you're kind of new with some of this and and really don't sell yourself short because you're probably closer than a lot of folks are in bicycling. And you've stayed in this for decades. You know, you didn't just put it down or let your bike gather dust. I mean, you're still out on your bike. You know, you're still engaging and, and you come with a wealth of information and skill sets. Can you just talk a little bit about that journey to still be showing up today? It's been a challenge. I mean, everything, you know, evolves around funding and resources. And the, the journey has been a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes, but it also has been consistent. And so I've always looked at it from the standpoint of if I can support a small race team, then I can keep myself involved in what other people are doing, connect a lot more people to the work around, you know, what what the ultimate goal is. You know, I think the last couple of years have been a lot better in terms of the support that we've gotten. Obviously, we yes. the shop. Our, our next steps, again, are just to connect the dots with people that are doing this work. Where do you envision yourself moving into 2024? The piece around infrastructure and policy, which I've know very little about. I'm, I'm I'm very, very interested in learning more about that. It's a natural step because I would never leave the community in terms of like what it is I'm trying to accomplish, you know, even though, you know, it involves competitive bike racing. I just want to continue to grow that and, and learn more about that because that's how we're going to connect all of this to make safer streets, to create equity around that. Yes. And that's definitely a mission of ours. How can folks reach you? LABikeAcademy.org. Our store is at 3105 West Jefferson Boulevard in LA. Right down the street from me. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Damon, for joining us as always. Um, and that I look forward, you know, to our continuing to work together and evolve and make our community uh, safer and um, just keep this going. And you never know everything. So I think that's like one of the the keys to um, doing good work is that you acknowledge that and that, you know, you get on board and you listen to your colleagues and your allies and, and figure out like, how can we come together and work? And if there's opposition, you know, there's always going to be opposition. But even in those cases, it's kind of like, well, what are you good at? You know, and even though we might not be able to team up, you know, there are some skill sets that you have that you will play a role in um, making streets safer. And we can figure that out um, as well in terms of like, you start it and we'll, we'll take it over. Um, but I think that's what L.A., is, is happening in, L in L.A. now. Like we all want safe streets. You know, we yes. all want we want Los Angeles to be um, a more walkable, bikeable and just um, community. I think it's more of us that want that 
then don't want that. So I, I thank you. I and, and I also just want to share that folks can find out more about Biking While Black. Uh, we have a website, bikingwhileblack.com. We have a list of our upcoming events. The film itself has taken wings of its own, and it's actually showing and screening throughout the country in places like Worcester, where uh, it will be screening for the second time um, at the Worcester uh, Library. Uh, I'll be in Oakland and San Francisco, and we're going to have some mini screenings there. Uh, so we continue to spread the word and and, and kind of sounds like church a little here, but basically, you know, spread the word um, about uh, the narratives and advocates and role models and blueprints of making streets safer for black and black brown lives to bike and also to just move around. So I thank Bike Talk for giving us this opportunity to once again share our narratives. It's good to hear from Yolanda again. She's done a lot in her community and Biking While Black is a good film. And what we don't realize, or maybe I don't realize as a white man is it's different than Biking While White, just like Driving While Black is different. Yeah. You want to introduce your interview? Yeah, I ran across this art exhibit that V has created. It's about um, Chicagoans who bike. He took portrait pictures and interviewed them about why and how they bike around the city of Chicago, the city of big shoulders, the Windy City. Last month, we did an interview with an art installation in upstate New York called The Ubiquitous Bike. That was all about the bicycle, photographs about the bike, history of the bike. Well, today we have an artist on the show. I will introduce them as V, and they have a art project called Chicagoans Who Bike. And it's on Instagram, it's on Twitter, and it's on a website. And it's pictures and interviews with regular people who bike around the city of Chicago. V, welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. What got you started doing this? I just love your project. I love all the pictures, all the people. And, you know, when you click on each picture, it takes you to an interview of that person. And I love mm -hmm. reading about how they choose and why they choose to ride around Chicago. So what got you started? Yeah. You know, I think everyone at some point has an idea that they're like, this is a good idea, but it's too obvious. Like, surely someone's doing that. And I think, you know, I've been biking around Chicago since I was a teenager, I biked to, to my school and high school and I had a lot of friends who biked and, and I still do now. And I was like, I feel like there's always this car content. There's always like marketing. There's these like TikToks now of like people go up to a nice car and they're like, how much did it cost? What do you do? And I was like, I want to find out like what what's the story behind all these cool bikes that I see and, and all the people who ride. And so I looked it up and I, I was like, surely like Chicago has a lot of great publications, like a lot of great local news. And I was like, surely someone's done this kind of reporting or like this kind of storytelling. And I really didn't see that. And I talked to a few people who were really active in Chicago's like active transportation community or safe streets or just bike advocacy. And they're like, yeah, there's not really like that. And I even encountered someone who said they tried to do something like that, like a local paper. And they're like, eh, that's not really our thing. And so I was just like, okay, well, what if I just do photos of people and their bike and I just like asked them some questions. I asked them like questions like, you know, is this your bike? Can you tell me about your bike? Why do you bike? And I change up the questions every time too. So sometimes you'll see something that you're like, huh, no one else has talked about that. But I think it really was feeling like I wanted to learn more about the other people who biked around my city because it's a beautiful, vibrant, massive city. 
And I wanted to showcase those stories to people because I think people who don't bike, I often heard people have a very limited sense of who bikes around Chicago in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not my experience as a cyclist. Like I see old people, I see young people, I see kids, I see families. And I think if you're behind a car, people don't always see that. And I want to paint that richer picture and try and show people like, no, like your grandpa could be out there biking and we should be building a city that works for those use cases too. Well, I'd love to hear you say that. Last week on the show, we had Gil Penalosa, who is the founder of 880 Cities, which is all about that, you know, create an environment for eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds to ride their bike. For me, I have two criteria when I when I think about like who I want to interview it, who I want to talk to. And my two rules for someone being on my project are just they live in the city of Chicago proper, like in the city boundaries. And to me, that was an important distinction because it's like if they have complaints about the infrastructure, they voted for in the mayoral election, right? right. They voted for their aldermen. They're paying taxes to the city. And that isn't to say that, you know, a tourist or a suburbanite doesn't deserve good infrastructure. But I felt there was a specific thing there where it's like, this is a person who lives in our city who's who should get to have a say about how the city functions and here's how they feel about it. Right. And then the second thing is that they use their bike for transportation. And I'm not particularly specific about that. There's not like a number or anything, but I don't really find it's valuable for that particular, the thing I'm trying to do, I don't think it's actually useful to talk to someone who drives their car to one of Chicago's beautiful trails, bikes up and down on Strava, and then gets back in their car. Like, that's beautiful. And I love cycling yeah, as a sport. Yeah. But to me, like, I think where there's a disconnect is that, like, that's actually fundamentally a different thing. Like, if you're trying to build infrastructure for people who are trying to hit records and, like, train for races, that's a completely different use case than kids trying to get to school, than people picking up groceries, than families doing school drop-off. And so to me, it was... I want to focus on talking about a broad range of people. So I don't want to, I want you to be surprised every time someone shows up and be like, oh, I don't think I've seen like someone like this interviewed before. And I want to cover the broad range of people who live in the city and, and who bike around the city. And so it, I think it always made much more sense for me to talk to people who, who just bike around the city. And most of the time, if you're biking to get groceries or to pick up your kids, you're not wearing spandex. You're wearing right. whatever you're wearing to the school, to the store, whatever that looks like. Right. And that's especially true in the wintertime in Chicago, because Chicago can get cold. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something I try and do, too. Like, you'll notice if you follow the project, there's actually, like, a seasonality to it. I started photographing and doing interviews in the summer, maybe, like, June or July. And I launched the project in September. But so you can see there's, like, some really beautiful summer photography where there's, like, a dad in, like, shorts and, like, a fun shirt and then it transitions into like fall and you start seeing some light coats and sweaters. And then there's like winter shots where someone's yeah. like layered up, like you barely Snow see on their the ground. face. Mm -hmm. And that was really important to me too. Cause I think the biggest thing I'm trying to do with this project is like push back on all of these like narratives that people have about biking that just like are not rooted in the fundamental like reality of the situation. Like people think I've heard people say you can only bike in Chicago for like four months of the year. Right. And that's just like, there's no, there's no one who says that who bikes. Right. Some people might not bike for two months of the year. Maybe they call out, you know, December, January, but there's no one I've heard who's like, yeah, I bike four months. Like that's just not the situation. And so it was really important to me to, to capture the richness in time as well as in place and, and age and all of those things. Right. Well, what are some of the best lessons that you've learned from some of the people that you've interviewed? Hmm. That's a great one. I think, 
One of the things is, is I think if you don't bike, people think that bike people are all like a monolith, both like it's one group of people, but also that they all have the same opinion. That's just categorically not true. Like, right. you know, in Chicago, I'm sure tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people like own a bike and like bike around, like some of them will have really strong opinions about what they see. Some of them, like people can disagree. And I think that's been a really valuable lesson to me. I think also like seeing the different ways people approach it. Right. Cause I think there are some people who are like, yeah, I go to the coffee shops and I'm also racing. Like I will just wear Lycra all the time. Right. And then there's people who are very like, there's people who spend thousands of dollars and have four bikes. And there's people who are like, this is my shitty bike. It cost me $50. I do the bare minimum to keep it working. And I think that's cool. Cause I think that's, that's an awareness people have with other forms of transportation. I think we have an awareness as a culture that like, there's like the car guys. And then there's like someone who just has a car or who has right. a beater or whatever. Yeah. And I'm trying to paint that rich picture too. If there's like a wide variety of people, some of them might not even like biking. They're just like, yeah, it's just cheaper than anything else. Like I got laid off. It's cheaper. So that's why I bike. And I think that's yeah. actually fine. And I think that's actually important for like municipalities to realize is that like, some of the people biking might not even want to bike. Some of them, it's just their only option. Sure. They should still get safety and protection and still have a pleasant experience. And that's the common thread of all of these is almost every single person I talk to has had some kind of negative safety related experience. Some of them have faced harassment. If you read some of the interviews for like ordinary behavior, like yeah. someone described to me, like getting a death threat because they turned left. Like they were like <laughs> blocking a driver. How dare like, they? Right. That's just like not okay. And I think that's like the common thread, unfortunately, is like people just want safety. Like people just want to have a pleasant experience. They're not trying to like take over the road and make every road like a bike only experience. They just want to get to the grocery store. They right. want to drop their kids off. And I think that's kind of heartbreaking sometimes of like no matter the age, no matter the skill level, that's like a common thread is like people just worried about safety people who've experienced like harassment, getting doored, anything like that, or people just worried about it. And they're like, oh, I know someone who got hit. And I think that's that's a challenging thread to see in all of them. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with you. I think there is this feeling sometimes that drivers think bikers are trying to take something away from them. And that's partly why drivers are so aggressive to people on bikes. I, I noticed that certainly wherever I bike. But I want to go back to what you were talking about, the people not being a monolith. And that's so clear in your in your photographs. There's young, old, male, female, white, black, large, skinny, you know, whatever. And I love the pictures that they're with all of their bikes. I wonder, do you pose them or do they choose how to stand with their bike? It's really great to see all yeah. these shots. I think I might give them a little bit of direction, but I'm pretty hands off. Um, and so one thing that's actually important to me, and I think that I don't like publicize but like every person picks the location of their photo generally oh. so if it's like if i'm at an event and i'm interviewing people then obviously they didn't but most of the time how it works is people will i will tell people i want to talk to you in a place that's important to you and so if you see someone in a park like there's a an older gentleman with a, a black bike that's like on yep. chicago 606 trail he chose that location he was right. like this is a place that's really important really meaningful to me and i think that was really important to me and that helps me cover the whole city. It also means I put a lot of miles on my bike, like going sure. up and down Chicago. But I try and give people as much freedom. And like, if people have multiple bikes, I'm like, I'm capturing you. 
you give me whatever you want to give me. I just make sure they they look good and the lighting's good. Right. But I try and keep it as hands-off as possible in that way. So that it really feels like I want someone to look at the photo I take of them and feel like this is a genuine representation of me. This feels like me and not like a stage kind of thing. What do you shoot on? I mean, are you a photographer by trade or is this just on your iPhone? What are you, what are you shooting on? <laughs> yeah, so... I'm not a photographer by trade. It's it's a hobby I had back in the day that I've kind of picked back up. Um, but I'm using a mirrorless camera. Like I upgraded some of my first shots. If you have a very keen eye, you can notice there was a switch in lenses where I switched to a nicer lens later on that works better for portrait photography. Um, and as I'm moving into video, I had to get more gear for that. But it's definitely like I'm a hobbyist. I'm not going to speak to like being the world's best portrait photographer. But I think that's actually okay. I think there was like a level of fidelity I wanted where I wanted it to look professional and crisp and like, I wanted to draw people in, but it's not just like right. an iPhone photo, right. you know, no offense to Well, that, it's a like, good mix because some of them are, I'm looking at the one of the guy with the greenhouse in the back and it's just mm -hmm. so well lit. It's really beautiful. This night sky and this uh, leaveless branches of a tree. And then mm -hmm. this figure in the front with his bicycle, it's just, it's really a beautiful shot. There's a musician who I took a shot of, of he's like on his like e-bike with his guitar out. Yeah, playing. I'm, I'm looking at it. And, you know, I'm not expecting it to be like a huge cultural success, but I think it's just like telling, making sure that people see all of those stories. And maybe that's something that I want to do at some point. Well, again, what I like is when you click on the photograph, you see the person's story a little bit about why they're biking. And one jumped out at me. She talks about the city needing to build more infrastructure so more regular people can ride and she says if they don't then i just go back to driving my car and i'm traffic and that makes me think of that famous line by shakespeare to be traffic or not to be traffic that's the question <laughs> and so uh, these people have all chosen not to be traffic i think that's the beautiful thing is if you just talk to anyone these people are not a lot of the folks i talk to they're not activists at all and i think that's very intentional on my part like they're just people who bike and right. that's like, some of them might be politically involved, but most of them aren't. Most of them are just like annoyed at the street, just like any right. other person of like, there's potholes, there's stuff going on. It also makes me think of that famous NPR series called StoryCorps. Have you ever listened to that? Yeah, I think I have. I think I've heard it, of that It's one. just an audio representation of people's stories. And this is a more of a visual one. I just love it. There was also one comment that a person made where he called the bicycle a kinetic sculpture. And I think that's such a great word for a bicycle because they really are sculptures. And many of the bikes in your photographs are sculptures. You have a great cargo bike and and an electric bike and vintage bikes. And then you have the woman who has a, a keg on the back of her bike. It's really <laughs> uh, uh, a joy. V, thanks for your project. I've really enjoyed looking at it. I love Chicago. I've been there a lot. And I have never ridden on the 606 trail. What is that? It's pretty new, maybe a few years old, but it's a rails to trails conversion. So it's an elevated bike path that goes east to west. And I think I'd encourage people to look it up. I think people in the Chicago biking community are a little mixed because it can get a little crowded in the summertime, sure. like anything good. But it's a really beautiful place, I think, because it's fully protected and it's, it's just like an elevated trail, which means there's no cars. And so yeah. I have a few people who talk to me about, oh, I taught my kid to bike there. And so I think but if you're looking to take your family from out of town on a nice bike ride and like go get some Italian ice and like a nice Chicago coffee. 
it's a beautiful spot and I'm a big fan. Great. How do people find your project on Instagram or Twitter or the website? Yeah. So our website is chaihu.bike. So that's C-H-I-W-H-O dot B-I-K-E. And we're on Instagram and Twitter with the same handles. Or just look up Chicagoans Who Bike and I'm sure we'll come up. Great. V, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. You know, Nick, that made me think that people should send us pictures on their bike. Like take a selfie of you and your bike on one of your rides and send the picture to biketalk.org. And all you have to do is once you're there, click email us and send us your picture of you and your bike. (laughs) And of course, while you're at biketalk.org, check out Bookshop, where we have all of the books of the authors that we've had on the show. It's a great gift for yourself or for someone else. Thank you to our guests, Michael Schneider, Streets for All, Damon Turner, LA Bike Academy, Yolanda Davis Overstreet, Biking One Black. And thanks, Carl Villain. Thanks for having me. Mobility (laughs) for whom? That is the question. (laughs) (laughs) One day we'll figure out the answer. (laughs) It's for everybody. It should be. Yeah. Good show, Taylor. Good show, Nick. Ride safe. And we're talking about bicycles. And we're talking about bicycle lanes. Hi, this is Stacy with a bike thought. Cougar attacks cyclists. While it is a scary thought, anyone mountain biking in the park has to remember that they are a guest in what is rightly that animal's habitat. If that animal feels threatened or perhaps malnourished or even just enticed by your movement, they will likely act upon animal instinct. In the past 125 years, there have been just 16 people killed in the United States by cougars. Throw in wolves, alligators, bears, and sharks, and it's 323 total deaths. There's another killer out there that is much more deadly, and that's the human driver. In the past 125 years, driving has claimed over 4 million lives, and that's just in the United States. Why did we allow these predators into our cities? It's time to rethink who we allow to drive, how large and powerful we allow those vehicles to be, where we allow them to roam. It's time to tame the predators. This episode of Bike Talk is sponsored by the law offices of Pocross and De Los Reyes, with offices in Los Angeles and Bakersfield and serving all of Southern California. And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. Oh, catch yourself a bike. Oh, catch yourself a bike.